0: Happy New Year, everyone. Simon Jacobson here. And this is part two of A Vision for Tomorrow. 2020, A Vision for Tomorrow. This program is dedicated by Mark and Rebecca Belinsky in honor of the Dedan Nozach of Hey Tavis and my birthday tonight and tomorrow on the 5th of Tavis. Thank you very much for that. So last week as we concluded the decade, the second decade of the third millennia, year 2019, we spoke about how to take a bird's eye view and look at transitions and look at the big picture and the transitions from one stage to another as we forge ahead instead of being consumed with a um, a myopic perspective. And many different angles of how to look at the bigger picture preparing for the future. This will be part two, we're going to discuss some more specifics, more specifics that are particularly relevant to our times. So see that as a complement to last week's program. Now we all look forward to a really bright future ahead of us, and there's very good reason to believe that, because if you look at trends, the world has become a better place. Less crime, less violence, less wars, less injustice much more charity and giving. This by far doesn't mean that we have finished the job. There's plenty of problems. But as a trend goes, things have gotten better. The question is, where are we headed? Now, you always have two voices, the doomsayers that say it's only going to be worse and destroy the world, will destroy itself. Machines may go to war with humans at some point. And there are those that have the optimistic forecast. So I think, Dwight, to look ahead, you have to look back. Let's, let's broaden the zoom on history. And this is accepted that there have been several revolutions throughout history. This is pretty much not up to dispute. They call it the agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution, the computer revolution. Where are we in the context of these revolutions is very vital. So, what is the agricultural revolution? We're talking about a time when, obviously, food is always at the beginning and the end of people's survival. So, food was always part of human history. How food was manufactured, how food was processed, how food was eaten. So, there was a time where people created. They had their little farms or they had their own little gardens, and they worked hard to produce different parts of the world, whatever they could produce, whether it was potatoes or rice or corn or grain. And that's what was done. Same thing with livestock, chickens. and Agricultural revolution changed things. It created collectives. That instead of people individually living in their own little place, they began to commune into communities. So they would complement each other and they would help each other create agricultural centers. And those that were successful actually became so-called the wealthier ones. The Industrial Revolution changed all that. What it did was, machines began to be developed. Electricity, steam engine. What did that do? It automated things. In the agricultural world, in the agrarian society, Yes, you had many people living, let's say, in a town around a large farm or several farms, and they used primarily animals and human labor. The machines changed everything, because machines could do the work much faster, and you don't even have to be there. You could hire people. So Industrial Revolution actually helped disperse and create cities and towns and cities that were not necessarily around the farm. Many other changes, of course, that the Industrial Revolution introduced. One that strikes me, in particular, was Admiral Adam Pickover's speech in 1955. I mentioned this a number of times, but it's a very good statistic to help us understand the shift. The industrial Revolution, of course, is around 18, is marked as 1840. And that developed further. as it went into the 19th, 20th century, of course, came new developments, and ultimately the computer revolution which is really relatively new. We're talking about mid 20th century. So Adam Pickover in a talk in 1955 said the following, paraphrasing, that is a fascinating contrast. That in 1855, 100 years earlier, 90% or something like that of energy generated in the world was generated through human labor. I guess he meant including animals that they would use. And energy, of course, is vital for everything. Energy is for warmth, for food, for shelters. In 1955, in those hundred years, 85 or 90 percent of energy is generated by machines. He pointed out one significant change that that caused was the tremendous growth in wealth among those that control the machines, because when you were controlling an industrial, uh, an agricultural society, okay. So then, you may have been the landlord, you may have been the landowner, but now it's a press of a button. You control the machines. You produce a lot more. And you make a lot more money. So enormous growth of wealth it was it marks the years 1855 to 1955. A second thing, which I don't recall if he mentions, but what stands out to me is the free time. Now that we've been freed due to machines, what are we doing with our free time? The birth of leisure. Leisure was born. You know, when you worked in a field, eight, ten hours under a hot sun, you really had no free time. You made enough for your potatoes, your rice, your corn, your food, your grain. Whatever was extra, perhaps, you traded. If it was a collective, like an agricultural, agrarian communities, it had their whole arrangements. But now you have a lot of time, because you don't have to sit eight hours in a field. You can just go to a fruit store. To a vegetable store, to a grocery store, to a supermarket. And today, let's not even get there. Today, you just Amazon Prime, and within an hour, you can have it right at your door. So, what happened with all this leisure? What, this was the birth of real leisure. Not that there wasn't any leisure before that. People took vacations and they had time off, but not the amounts of free time. What does that do to the human psyche? How do we fill this time? With productivity? Or with nonsense. And imagine when we have a vacuum, if nature abhors a vacuum, a human spirit sure abhors a vacuum. So these benchmarks are critical to understand where we are and how did we get here. Because as I mentioned last week, and I mention again now, when you look at the small picture, the immediate, you only see what's happening. But if you look at the process, if you look at the big picture, you see a pattern emerging. So we're, we're, not, we're not an island unto ourselves. We are a result and a product of events that have been happening for hundreds and thousands of years. So you need to be wise to understand how all this developed and how it shaped and affected us collectively and individually. And of course, it's only accelerated. Add now the computer revolution, in the 50s or whenever that begins, information revolution, then add into the equation the internet revolution. In the 90s. When I say 90s, I mean at the end of the 20th century, the 1990s. Now we're ready in 2020. Uh, Basically uh, basically, uh, 15, 35 years ago. Everything has sped up and accelerated. So there's a lot more wealth and there's a lot more free time. And what has it done to us? So on a very basic level, you're living in a town 500 years ago. It's an agrarian society, agriculture is the center. Maybe there's other merchants doing trading and obviously spices and there were probably other commodities. But we talking about primarily the sustenance of people was dependent on that. So what happens? You don't have many options. Travel was a rarity. Only those that did that for, for their uh, trade. Vacations were... Probably relatively close to you. There were no vehicles. There were no transportation. There was no. You can't go very far. So essentially, you knew the people from the time you were born until you died. You probably knew the people. It was a very, I would say, intimate community. Now that doesn't mean it was always healthy, but the bare fact that it was close, the nurturing must have been a lot better. Your parents. There wasn't many options. Now again, people could be corrupt anytime. And I'm sure they were then as well. But it's just many, many less options. So family was a critical component because there was no, here I'm a free bohemian, a free spirit, traveling the world, just being transcendent, living in bliss. You sure had spiritual people. But life was, because of survival, life was in many ways driven by those factors that kept things a little more grounded. Today, there are many, many more options and and perspectives on life, on humans, and so on. So there was always decadence. Let's make that clear. There was always corruption. There was always violence. As I mentioned before, there was more violence then than now. But on a personal level, you only knew that many people. So I would say it was much more personalized life as opposed to depersonalized. You sat at meals with them. You didn't have an option to watch television or to go on text or to escape in some other type of technological gadget. Options were much less because you didn't know about others. Today when we know about others, it gives us more options. We see others are doing it. It opens up, makes us think. It gives us ideas for good or for bad. So society then was was far simpler. But as the Industrial Revolution took over and then the Computer Revolution... As I said, the birth of leisure, the birth of tremendous amounts of wealth when not harnessed can be a tremendous source of discord and divisiveness, as Marx accurately depicts and as we see, and the birth of leisure and free time, and so many other challenges, and definitely the depersonalization. Today we talk about the world of communications, connection, we're all connected. You have thousands of friends on Facebook, on Instagram, on the social media but how many real friends do you have that you can sit eye-to-eye, one-on-one, just to talk heart-to-heart? So with the great gifts that were over here with us, we also have a lot of depersonalization, a lot of free time that is not necessarily being filled with productivity, with content, with value. Oscar Wilde put it, people know more and more about less and less. People know the price of everything, but the value of nothing. And illiteracy hasn't gone down. It's only that today, illiterate people know how to read. So quotes from him. He wasn't exactly a moral paragon either. But rather, they're good quotes. And what does it tell us? It tells us just because you have more information, just because you have more machines, that doesn't mean you're a more evolved person. doesn't mean you're a more quality person. The words used to be used, I don't know if they still use them with computers. Junk in, junk out. You put junk in. You get junk back in an accelerated and a much faster way and a much more volume. You put quality in, you get quality back. That's what a computer doesn't have a soul. It crunches numbers. It speeds up data. Streaming. So it depends what goes in. It's like any technology, completely neutral and amoral. You broadcast a beautiful show that touches people and uplifts their hearts and spirits. Beautiful you produce something that is violent or it evokes in people bad behavior and brings the worst out of us, then that becomes accelerated. So now immorality or lack of morality is far more pronounced because everything is quicker and is delivered faster. Then, back then, even if there was something like that, it was very localized Not to say that it wasn't damaging, but it's a very different story. Take the explosion of porn. Once upon a time, you needed to go somewhere. Today, there's no shame. You can have your phone and do whatever you wish. And what effect does that have on the human psyche? And of course, we always minimize it. So if you think about the future, a vision for tomorrow, we need to take into account these stages these developments, because they are the key to understanding the future. Because if the past indicates anything, it will only get faster, more availability, more convenience, more free time, more wealth, and where are we going with that? What will happen to the human race? So this really takes us back to who we are as humans. If we humans are fundamentally selfish creatures, give us more time and we become more selfish. If, however, we're fundamentally selfless creatures... Noble souls, with a higher purpose in mind, give us more time, we'll become nobler. And that is the crossroad where we are. Not necessarily 2020 per se or 2021, but we are getting closer and closer to that time. So I would submit that the next revolution, and this is the best possible way, is a spiritual revolution. What does a spiritual revolution mean? An integrated one. That once we've seen everything that's happened in the the agricultural and industrial and computer revolution and only accelerated in the recent decades and we see how it does not solve our problems, that we're still the human being, the child that needs love, the adult that wants to find love and nurturing and acceptance and self-confidence and truth and soul and transcendence, that all these machines do not provide that there will be a turn. A turn toward what? Toward a deep hunger. And I'll use a quote from one of the prophecies, that days are coming where people will be hungry not for bread and water, but for the word of God. They'll be hungry for spirit. Because the spirit becomes more and more parched, more and more starved and suffocated when it's not being fed. Now in a world that was a much slower world, a world that was not a global village, going back to the agrarian, to the agricultural societies, and before. Spirit was there. there. As I said, there was decadence, there was other stuff, but the spirit was readily available because there weren't that many distractions. And when you're focused on mostly survival, you're not really fantasizing and, and going to places that could be extremely destructive with today, what leisure today can lead to. But in today's world, the soul is being hungrier and hungrier. So the interesting paradox is, as our bodies and our material lives get more comfortable and more satisfied, our souls become hungrier. And a soul, in simple terms, doesn't just mean, I'm not just mean a religious journey. I mean a transcendent one, transcendent needs. I mean things like love, and things like intimacy of the healthy sort, and things like searching for something greater than yourself. That has become increasingly rarer. Even though people naturally still seek it, But because of so many distractions, you have so many options that drown out that thirst. But it's still there and it eats at you. And at some point, there's going to be a backlash. And that backlash will be a hunger, a deep hunger for meaning, for purpose. I see it from my work. I've seen changes in my own lifetime. Not overnight, slow changes. It's like now the second generation, third generation even, of a dysfunctional generation. Many, many children today, adults today, born as children of divorce, of broken families, abuse, much more talked about today. So the next generation, in a way, there's like a collective silent misery, silent desperation. But because of technology, people talk. Because of therapy, because of all these these movements that have spawned to serve this, So there's a lot more awareness of this. I'm not saying there are always solutions. Some are good, and some are not. Some are exploitive. But there is that, and I sense that when you hit rock bottom, you want to finally say, you know what, enough is enough with the partying. I remember once, I had to go to a meeting Sunday morning, early Sunday morning meeting in Manhattan. So I was driving, I stop at a corner, and I see a car, a bunch of guys with a beautiful woman in there. They open the door, they basically almost shove her out. Not literally, but almost. All dressed up, you could see it was a good, nice Saturday night party. And now, new day, I'm, she's out of here. Now I happen to know her, she used to come to my classes. And I saw such sadness, such loneliness. Yes, they had a party, but what? but after the hangover. So I opened the window, see she was embarrassed, and I said, would you like a ride? Yeah, and I decided I'll give her a ride home. She took her home. She was quiet. She knew, and I knew, she's an intelligent woman, desperately searching for love. So today, men are exploitive, and women go along with the party. It broke my heart, because on the outside, there's young, sexy people having fun, but they're lonely, they're miserable, and they're masking it, they're numbing it, and relieving themselves with temporary instant gratification. Drugs of different sorts, not necessarily physical drugs, even though it includes that. Drinking, free sex, anything high that can give a person some, some joy for a moment. Is that joy, is it lasting? And I believe there's a collective growth of that. Now, there are many people that are very intact and are married and bring up family and children and have other elements that are attacked, so I'm not suggesting this is uh, across the board. But there's enough in the critical mass, there's enough in the mainstream to make this an issue. So this this disproportion between this highest level of communications, computers getting faster, mobile phones, faster and faster, and at the same time, a lack of connection in the personal level, is going to reach a boiling point if it hasn't yet. And that's where the future holds, what we will do then. I'm of the optimistic sort, very optimistic. Why? Because that's what I see the trends. So I believe there will be a spiritual revolution. And we're already in the midst of one, maybe in the early stages of it. not so apparent. And what is that spiritual revolution? Searching for something greater than instant gratification. Greater than for what I'm having right now. And if you look at all the changes, I was looking at the decade and... Essays and articles in the Wall Street Journal and other newspapers and magazines. And they describe what happened in the last decade. You have the Obama era moving into the Trump era. The changes in technology. The stock market going through the roof. They have their trends. But they're mostly trends that even though they're covering a decade, they are still immediate trends. Talking about money, politics. It's not a trend I would call a psychological trend. What's happening in people's hearts and souls. That's what I would like to see statistics, studies, what are children feeling like in school? The shootings, the killings, what toll is that taking? What's the pulse of the human condition? So I'll give you my take. The pulse of the human condition is exactly this paradox. And it cannot hold, it's very tenuous, it's a real extreme. Because on one hand, so much success, you can have total success at work, financially, socially, and so on, but internally be a complete failure. So there's this paradox, these extremes. And extremes always, at some point, have to give. So I see the trend that extreme, that paradox. Those poles need to be reconciled. Right now, many people reconcile them by simply compartmentalizing. Or, as I said, numb yourself so you don't feel the pain. But this is an anxiety that's unbearable. You cannot keep feeding your body and not feed your soul. At some point, the disproportion will implode or even explode. It's not a surprise that so many people suffer from anxiety, sleeplessness, <clears throat> so many people going to therapy. Yes, you can say it's a result of a, a traumatic childhood or other things. But why do children growing up in traumatic homes? Why are parents not providing that nurturing? Because they themselves are suffering from this dichotomy, from this split. So that's where I suggest we are. So to, when people say, well, look how great things are, And then someone else says, look how bad things are. Who says they're two narratives? I don't want to plagiarize Dickens. The best of times and the worst of times. Why can't that be true? And they play against each other. In many ways, the best of times, not used properly and harnessed properly, becomes the worst of times. And vice versa. So in keeping that in mind and seeing the trends, the spiritual revolution is upon us. And the spiritual revolution will include something that the other revolutions did not quite emphasize enough. In the agricultural revolution or the industrial, the computer, even though they definitely studied human psychology, and there's no question that Steve Jobs and Apple studied the intuitive way people use phones and for their needs, but it was all about the human needs, the needs of now, travel, finance, navigation, different apps. The spiritual needs have not really been addressed even though there are some apps, self-help and growth and personal and character development. But not to the same pace as all the others. games, video games. Man, that's sophisticated. That's complex even. And in many ways, that's also human psychology, but it's taking, betting people out there at the bottom because it's entertainment at the end of the day and it's replacing true meaningful relationships. So... So the technologies, and as I said, going and only accelerating from the agricultural to the industrial to the computer to today, the internet age or whatever you want to call the mobile age, has, if you put it out two graphs, in, pers- in, um, in entertainment, in, uh, in finance, in other util- utilities, it's up here. But in personal growth, personal refinement, spiritual fulfillment, it's down here. And these two are growing apart. And that's where there's a tremendous tension. A tension no different than like the tension when, when plates, the tectonic, tectonic plates grind against each other, bringing on an earthquake. Or the pressures under the ground that ultimately erupt in a volcano. Now this doesn't have to erupt in a negative way, it can erupt in a positive way. That's what I sense. And all the disruption that we've been seeing in the last few years, whether it's Amazon disrupting the retail world, or it's Trump disrupting politics, Washington, world powers, and so on. Disruption, as I said last week, is a a move from one world to another world. To start blaming anyone. There's too many factors that allow these, these disruptions to happen. And they are ultimately in the healthiest way. We have to look at them as transitions. Transitions will always have a disruption of the old as it assumes the new. Shedding a layer of skin to assume a new layer. This is irrelevant whether that's the intention of the person doing the disrupting or the company doing the disrupting. It's the collective picture. And as technologies accelerate and develop, and I'm sure in technologies we can't even imagine now, they will disrupt the old order. And two things can happen. The disruption becomes just another part of our anxiety. Or we see the disruption as leading to a new world order. And what kind of world order? Where there'll be more fusion to spirit and matter. You'll say, how do I know that? Look at science. Once upon a time, we looked at a world that was very s- fragmented. Science is the search for laws of unity. One law or number of laws that explain many phenomenon. So then the world can make sense. It's not just everything has its own set of laws. And that's what happened. Science create more unity. It also recognized that matter and energy are reversible. So the trend is from fragmentation to unity. From from disjointed parts to cohesiveness. So why would we think that it's gonna become less cohesive? It'll only become more unified. And the ultimate unified is when there's harmony between us and nature, and between us and others. So that has been the trend through history, but we may not see it, because we like to take the personal out of it. We say, no problem, in science, but not me. My life is splintered, my life, I'm, I'm uh, all over the place. I have voices, personalities. I can't find a cohesiveness in my own life. But that's part of the schism. That's part of the problem. So the trends are toward getting more unity. And we are literally at the verge. And we have the power to actually affect our lives. Because if you know what I'm saying, and you recognize it and it resonates, you can do something about it. Because then you can say to yourself, you know what? Why do I have to wait to be a follower? And wait till the critical mass is hit with this spiritual revolution? Why can't I be a leader? Why can't I jump on early, early adopter? And how does that take shape? Very straightforward. It takes shape by starting to look at your life. In a new way. Look at the fragments. Make a list of everything you've done. Take my book, Toward a Meaningful Life. A chapter, the end of the first section on man. I believe it's chapter 17 or 18. One of the, one, uh, one of the chapters is called A Day of Life. And there it describes what a life usually looks like. A natural, an average life. Make a list of everything you're doing. Start creating cohesiveness. You'll see... You make a list, you'll have 100, 200 items from the morning as soon as you wake up. Everything should be included, even tying your shoelaces or putting on your shoes. And you'll see a bunch of fragments. It doesn't look like, so what, there's fragments. Here you you woke up, snooze button, maybe you got up, exercised, showered, breakfast, whatever the regimen is. Prayed, commuted, went to work, met somebody, coffee break, tea break, some significant meeting, some not afternoon, late afternoon, back to work, back home commuting, an evening, a party, just staying quiet at home, going to sleep early, going to sleep late. List it all and try to find a thread that connects them. You'll find most do not connect. So it may not seem like much, so what? You have a bunch of fragments in your life. But it accumulates day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennia after millennia, if we live that long. So now you have thousands, if not millions of fragments. A human being abhors fragmentation. Think of, you come to a house that's all; everything is all over the place. It's very unsettling. Even those that have a mess on their table, in their mind there's a certain organization. Children naturally gravitate to what? Fitting certain, uh, uh, an oval into an oval hole, a square into a square hole. We like cohesiveness, we naturally gravitate. So what do you think all these fragments do to your life? One day, I know, is not much. Their accumulation creates a tremendous unsettling with internally, psychologically. A a disorientation, and it takes its toll. And it's quiet and silent, but at some point it explodes. And explodes in all kinds of forms, whether it's anxiety, whether it's the, the lack of trust, whether it's lack of intimacy and true friendships, it can take on many shapes. So you can begin to get on the trend. The trend is what we're working toward a spiritual revolution of integration integration and internalization of deeper truths that become part of you. And then they infuse your details of your lives with a vision a vision for tomorrow, a vision. That creates cohesiveness. And the vision can be your mission in life. To spiritualize your corner of the world. To use your talents and skills. To bring some joy. To bring warmth. To change the world in some small way. Or in a larger way. And that connects all your details. Because then when you commute, you speak to a person, say a kind word. Every detail becomes part of a bigger spiritual mission. That is how you take your life in your hands. That's called proactive thinking. Not waiting, okay, things will happen, we're in 2020, let's see what happens in this part of the world. No, time to take the bull by the horns, time to take initiative, to become a leader, to become someone that is, thinks ahead, preempts, is proactive, not reactive. That is the call of our times because of all the factors I mentioned earlier, that is the best way to do Make sure that your destiny is going in the right direction. Taking control and not allowing life to control you. Life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans, as whoever sang that, John Lennon or whoever it was. To take life in your hands and you define, and on a daily basis, that is the vision for tomorrow that we take from 2020. So as we enter the new year, that's the resolution should do this. Do it on a daily basis. Begin. Try to make a list like I said. You'll see the lack of cohesiveness in the details of your life. It may even shake you up. And then you do something about it. You start connecting. In the morning when you wake up, a prayer I always point out, Moda Ani, acknowledge, I thank you for returning my soul to me, which means for giving me purpose, for giving me a mission, an indispensable role to play in this world. A soul, that's like the hub, that connects the the spokes. And then when you make that prayer, even though it's a short prayer right in the morning, you begin to look for opportunities in the day of where you can introduce soulfulness, warmth, love. And that becomes your driving force. That also immunizes you, because technology will take over your life if you don't take over its life. It will take over your life, but if you do this, then technology becomes your tool, an instrument. Use emails to send out such a message, a spiritual message. You'll be surprised, you'll be shocked, I would say, how taking that initiative will change your life. Because you will be able to start regaining control in a life that seems out of control. And all that's sped up and all that's accelerated, you'll be able to determine your pace. Maybe today I shut down, maybe I unplug. Shabbat is a day we unplug. Such a pure day, especially today with all the rush hour, with all the texting, with all... Imagine the day you just spend with your family and you just don't allow yourself to be distracted. It's like going into the woods. and There's no communications, there's no texting. You can just take in the smell, the environment, the purity. This is where we are at. And the more we do that, that's why you see a trend where people are saying, I'm going to get some solitude, some silence. There's too much noise in my life. It's still a small trend, because people are in the rat race, and they can't give it up, it's a drug. But each of us, each of you listening, each of us has that ability, and that's where we're at. So 2020 is, yes, a very good time to begin, because we're now at the bridge between, I'll say, the accelerated age of the Internet, the early infancy of the Internet, to the next stage, which will only make things more complicated. We have the ability, my friends, to do something about it. So 2020, a vision for tomorrow. The vision for tomorrow is a spiritual vision, a vision of unity, of harmony, of cohesion, of bringing together many different schools of thought, many diverse opinions, but then coming away with harmony within diversity, a fusion between science and faith, a fusion between belief, God, and the material world. Because when you dig deeper, you find unity. Unity a fusion between the observer, us, and the world which we observe, that we affect each other, person to person, families, communities, nations, a world, yes, hurtling toward much more peace, because harmony within brings harmony without. When people are not fighting with themselves or fighting with their friends or their neighbors, how far is that from fighting with other nations, other communities? A world that will be driven by a higher purpose that connects us all while each of us being indispensable. I know it sounds like a tall order, but that's what we naturally gravitate to. Think, does that resonate? Or would you rather have a world of battle, of hostility, of tensions? And we have that ability. That's where we are. And this does not mean you have to throw out all your gadgets and throw out all your technologies and computers. It means you need to start focusing what's the means and what's the end. What's the mission, and what are the ways you fulfill that mission? And never confuse means and ends, because if the means become the end, you're back to that here and now, the instant, instead of the bigger picture. These are thoughts, New Year's thoughts, resolutions that perhaps can last and be sustainable, instead of those that just last for one day, and then they just dissipate. We can look forward to a new decade, to a new year and a new decade, of real growth, personal growth, spiritual growth, emotional growth, psychological growth, to have a cohesiveness within you, that your mind and emotions can talk to each other, that your impulses and your higher instincts and higher values can communicate with each other. To create interfaces. I'm not talking about annihilating one, annihilating one the one annihilating the other, but interfaces, ways to create that cohesiveness. Cohesiveness does not mean one surrenders. It means everyone brings their energy, and then there's a synergy. That's more than the sum of the parts. That, my friends, is my prediction where we're headed. I don't know if it's a prediction. It's really by studying the patterns, studying where we're going. And then, yes, your leisure, the free time you have, starts becoming a time you use for meaningful interaction. You have more time to speak to your children. You have more time to find love in your life. You have more time to to go be a volunteer, to do something kind. We need to have our heads in the right places, meaning those priorities. And with that, we can then be not just bystanders or spectators. We can actually be partners of the, and the people who actually control the unfolding drama of our own destinies, the destinies of those around us, and the destiny of the world itself. And the prophecies and the visions articulated about a world filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea a word that will hunger spirit and then fill it up, fill, fill itself up. Those, all those statements will be fulfilled in our lifetime. A harmonious world, a totally harmonious, peaceful world where we all recognize that each of us is a soul, a divine, sacred soul, indispensable soul in one large musical composition. And one musical note and one instrument cannot replace another. We all need each other and in such we create a harmony, a symphony, a musical, beautiful symphony where you have each one necessary and each one needing the other. And they support and complement one another. This is our driving vision of the Meaningful Life Center. We are committed in every way, every way possible to help this bring this to fruition in this world. All our programs are meant to help get there. So please, partner with us. Give us your feedback. Give us your comments. Give us your suggestions. Give us your critique. Help us in every way possible, perhaps with your skills, perhaps with financial ways. We need each other. We can create the microcosm of such cooperation, then what stops it from having a ripple effect, like the butterfly effect, and affecting the entire universe? Happy New Year, everyone. Let's really enter this world, this new year, this new world, with a 2020 vision for tomorrow. Let's partner and do this right. Every week we're here, Wednesday. It's a live program at 8.30, archived afterwards. Please visit our site, MeaningfulLife.com, for a full array of materials and resources that help us lead meaningful lives, that help us find this cohesion, this harmony. Be well, everyone. Be well.